<laughs> but last week we started talking about <coughs> forgiveness, and we talked about how forgiveness is hard. It's one of the hardest things that we can do. And this week we're going to continue that thought. And last week I began talking about how we need to forgive before we feel like it. Because if you wait until you feel like forgiving, you never actually will forgive. And I remember I was saying that once in a small group in Tennessee, and there was this lady uh, who came up to me. And she was always coming up with crazy questions and things. They were good questions, but they were off the wall, unusual. She got me thinking in new and different ways. And so she came up to me, and she goes, it's hypocritical if I forgive someone before I feel like it. If I don't feel like forgiving, and then I start to forgive them, that's hypocritical. And so I had to think about this because I was like, is she right? Like, is that true? But it's not hypocritical to do the right thing when you don't feel like it. That's called maturity. When you do the right thing even though you don't feel like it, that's not hypocrisy. That's maturity. When you do what is right regardless of what you're feeling, that's called maturity. That means being an adult. Hypocrisy is when you say you believe one thing. Like, you say you believe that forgiveness is important, but then you don't actually forgive. Hypocrisy is acting in opposition to what you say you believe. And um, so anyways, I, I had a good discussion with her about that. But we have to start to forgive people before we feel like it because the feeling, the, the desire to forgive them comes as we start to forgive. And remember last week I shared with you kind of my method, what I do when there's someone who's really hurt me or hurt someone I love, what I do is, first of all, I start to pray for their good. Even though I don't feel like forgiving them, I begin to pray for their good. And then I begin to seek their good. I'm like, is there something where I can do it and they don't even know I'm doing it, but it's not against them. It's actually for them. And then is there something I can actively do good for them? Maybe give them a gift, maybe sacrifice something for them. And um, as I go through that process, as I start forgiving, I usually start feeling like I want to forgive. By taking the steps, by taking the steps and pursuing the process of forgiving, I actually begin to forgive. And tonight, we're going to pick up here in where we left off in the book of Philemon, starting in verse 10. And we're going to um, look at another aspect of forgiveness. It says here in verse 10, now I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to me and you. I'm sending him, he's my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than, as, better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man as a, and as a brother in the Lord. So just a recap of the story here real quick, because you're like, Alex, who's Onesimus? Why do I care about this? What's going on? So there was this slave in Roman times by the name of Onesimus. He robbed from his master Philemon, and he ran away to Rome. Now, Rome was 26 days' journey at the best traveling conditions in the Roman world. Um, usually in the springtime conditions were the best. And if he had left at that point, it would have taken him 26 days to leave Colossae, 
where Philemon was at and to go to Rome. Now, he robs his master Philemon, he takes his money, and he gets as far away from his master as he can. It's at least three ship rides, multiple carriages and horseback rides, and he, here he is 26 days away on the other end of the empire in the biggest city in the empire in Rome, and he thinks, now Philemon will never find me, and somehow he runs into Paul. Um, we don't know the exact details of how that happened, but he thought he was far, far enough away that his past would never catch up with him. Perhaps there were slave traders who were trying to catch him in the Roman Empire. If you were a runaway slave, um, there were people who would go out and capture you, and they would sell you and try to get you back to your master. And so maybe he saw some um, people who were trying to track him and capture him and take him back. Um, there was also a custom in the Roman Empire where if you were a slave and you had been abused, you could report your master. And if you were a runaway slave, you could actually seek refuge in any home or at the altar of any temple. And so if you went into someone's home and said, hey, I'm a runaway slave, I demand sanctuary. They had to provide you sanctuary for that moment if like uh, slave traders were after you. Um, you could run into a temple and do the exact same thing. And then the, um, the legal officers would come in and they would settle the matter. So perhaps, we don't know all the details, but perhaps he was running from some slave traders in Rome and he ended up coming into the home where, Rome, where Paul was under house arrest and the rest is history. We don't know, but somehow he got to one of the largest cities in the world at the time and he met Paul, the man who actually knew his master. And somehow through that encounter, Paul tells Onesimus about Jesus Christ. Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus and he says, you know what? I have messed up. My life's a mess. I want Jesus to save me. And he begins helping Paul in his ministry there as Paul is chained to a Roman officer and under house arrest. He begins to use Onesimus and Timothy and some other believers there in Rome to do this work of the ministry of encouraging the believers in Rome. So that's the backstory. That's where, where we're at. That's what's happening. And Paul says to Onesimus now, you've been helping me here in Rome. You've been a believer for a while. You've been a great help to what I'm doing. You need to go back to Philemon, your master, and apologize. Now, can you imagine this? That's not a good position to be in. You're going to take a 26-day, at least, if not more, journey back across the Roman world to apologize. I think we have a map up here. Um, perfect, yeah. So there's the journey from Rome to the region of Antioch, where Colossae was. And um, it would have taken at least 26 days. And uh, no one likes to apologize. I don't like to apologize because when we apologize, we have to admit that we did something wrong. We said something wrong. We made a mistake. And there's some pride wrapped up in that. But can you imagine, for 26 days, you're getting closer and closer to come back to the master that you robbed and that you left so that you can apologize. Um, I'm usually nervous if I have to go apologize and I'm like, I want to get it over as quickly as possible. But he had a 26-day journey back. But something I've found in apologies is the more we apologize, the easier we forgive. Because when we apologize quickly, it reminds us that we are not perfect, that we make mistakes. And it tends to make us a little bit more.
more merciful when the people around us make mistakes as well. And so be people that apologize quickly. Why? Because when people hurt you, you'll be able to forgive quickly and move on from that hurt faster. So in verse number 11, Paul here, he does a clever play on words. So he says in verse 11, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. He's been very useful to me. Now he's going to be useful to you. Look at the wording here. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he has been useful to you and me. And he keeps using this word useful and you're like, Paul, why are you obsessed with the word useful? What's going on here? Well, the name Onesimus means useful. And so what Paul is doing here in verse 11 is he's doing a play on words. He's saying Onesimus used to not live up to his name. He was a useless slave. But he says, now he's been useful to me and he'll be useful to you. He's found his true use, his use in Jesus. And, and what's interesting is, you know, in, in our lives, when we need to forgive someone, we're useless until we forgive. We get so fixated on our hurt, we become ineffective at helping and serving other people. And in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus was talking about, he says, if you go and you take an offering to the temple, you go to make a sacrifice, and you had a fight with your brother, with your sister, with your relative, with your friend, and you're like, well, I'm going to go sacrifice to God and just ignore this problem. Jesus says, go and be reconciled to that person first, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And until we make an apology, we're useless. And I think sometimes we try to ignore these human relationships that are broken and think, well, I'll just keep going on and I'll, I'll still do what I need to for God. And what the reality seems to be is we're useless until we uh, forgive or until we apologize, until we make right these things that are broken in our lives. And so Onesimus here, he had been useful to Paul, but Paul realized he's not going to remain useful unless he gets a situation between him and Philemon. And so he says, you need to go back and get this resolved. And Paul, at the end of the letter, says, I hope you send Onesimus back to me because he's been useful to me. But I needed him to take care of this first because if he did resolve this, it would just keep building up inside of him and building up inside of him if he didn't go apologize and if he didn't find your forgiveness. And he talks about here in verses 12 and 13, he says, you know, Onesimus has been working, um, helping me do the work of the ministry. And he says he's really standing in for you because you can't be here for me. He's being here and helping me. You're working in Colossae. I'm working here in Rome. And we've all been positioned in different places for the gospel. We can't be everywhere, but God has put us in certain places. And it's not by accident that you're on your street or in your workplace or in your school. Uh, it's not by accident that you are where you are. God has strategically placed you there to help people live and love like Jesus. You've been, you've been placed there to build trust with people, people far away from God, and share with them about the ways of Jesus. And then he says in verse 14, he says, I could have just kept Onesimus and not told you and said, hey, it's helpful to me, and I'm not going to bother Philemon about it. But he says, what I really wanted to do was to send him back to you to get this all resolved, for him to apologize, you to forgive, and then you to send him back as a gift. That you say, hey, I want Onesimus to be with you. He wants to work with you, and I want to freely let him go. Paul wanted people to do the right things for the right reason. 
And I think sometimes we try to make ourselves forgive for the wrong reason, or we try to apologize for the wrong reason. Uh, Darby used to tell me a story about how her and her brother, when they were growing up, they'd get into a fight, and uh, her dad would say, you've got to stay in your rooms. You can't come out of your room to two. You tell me what you did wrong. And they'd be like, we'll say literally anything to get out of our rooms. Like, we don't care. We're not going to learn our lesson. We're just going to literally tell him whatever he wants to hear. And so he'd be like, you have to apologize to each other. And they'd be like, sorry, sorry. And then they'd go right back in the room and fight again, you know, because they're like, we don't care. We're literally going to say whatever we want to get what we want. And Paul says here, we need to apologize for the right reasons. We need to forgive for the right reasons. What are the right reasons? For the restoration of relationship and for the good of and then in verse 15, Paul begins to describe, he's like, you know, I met Onesimus in Rome. He says this was just this random encounter that we had among all the millions of people of Rome. I happened across Onesimus. And I think sometimes we look at the weird, coincidence, the weird coincidences in our everyday life and we're like, eh. That was weird. That was kind of strange that happened. It's kind of strange that I ran into that person. It's kind of strange that I heard that. It's kind of strange that um, they said that or I was in this situation or there. I don't think so. I think there's very few real coincidences in our world. I think that Jesus and, uh, is positioning and moving things in our world. He's bringing people together. Um, and he, is, he led Onesimus to Paul. Um, you know, and Onesimus thought he was running as far away from his master and everything about his master that he could, and he ran right to Paul. I think weird coincidences in our life, the weird interactions and encounters we have with people are the fingerprints of Jesus at work in our lives. And I think if we're not careful, we overlook these things, but Jesus is working and orchestrating and bringing people into our lives so that they might encounter us and that they might encounter him. And finally here in verse 16, it talks about how he, his longing is that Philemon would accept Onesimus and forgive him and no longer see him as a bondservant or as a slave, but as a beloved brother and as someone precious to Paul and precious to the Lord and precious to himself. And I said I wanted to talk a little bit about Roman slavery here. Um, we mentioned it briefly last week. But it's very different than what we usually think of when we think of slavery, which is American slavery. In America, slavery was built around race. In Rome, it was not. You had Romans and Greeks. You had um, people from Europe and Asia. It was all kinds of different people, usually people that Rome had conquered, but not always. Sometimes Roman people sold their children into slavery in order to get money. And so if you're like, man, these... These kids have been kind of taking up space, and uh, you know I could use some extra money. You'd sell them into slavery, and many times slaves could buy their way out of slavery. Many times in Roman slavery, a master would um, train them or have them educated so that they become more valuable as slaves. And you see, so Alex, was this a moral practice? No. Anytime one person enslaves another, it's not a moral practice. It's a horrible practice. Um, but it was not as horrific as some of the slavery that we think of in America and in the West and some of the things like that. Um, there were some things that were actually good about it. Many times slaves became members of the family. They became such close confidants of their masters that they were actually adopted as sons or as daughters and became heirs. Um, there were instances where 
uh, rich Romans did not have any children, and they adopted a bright young slave to be their, um, their heir. And so there were slaves, and then there were slaves who became free. And at any point, a master could free a slave, and they could become a freedman. And they usually learned a, tra a craft or a trade. And there was such a large group of freedmen and then people who had been descended from them that they had a lot of power and influence in the government as well. And so they helped fight for slave rights as well. And so it was interesting. It actually, like I said, became to a point where a slave could report their master for abuses and they would be investigated by the authorities. Um, and so there were always violations and there were things that happened. But it's very, very different when we read slavery here in the New Testament. It's very different than what we think of. And by no means does the Bible condone the slavery that was in America. It's against everything that the Bible teaches. Jesus, in fact, came to set us free. And really, the teachings of the New Testament really dismantled the Roman slave trade relatively quickly. We know that much of the early church was made up of slaves. From um, early church history, we're looking the first couple hundred years after Jesus, a great number of believers were slaves. And in um, Colossians, which is written to the same group here that Philemon is written to, he lived in Colossae. The book of Colossians was actually another letter that Paul wrote and that came with Philemon's letter. So Onesimus carried this letter, the letter to Philemon, and the letter to Colossians in our Bible to the people, the church at Colossae and Philemon. And so without Onesimus, we never would have had this letter probably delivered, or maybe somebody else would have delivered it. But it's interesting to think about. And here's what it says in the letter to Colossians, in Colossians 3.1. Now there is no Greek and there is no Jew. There is no circumcised and there is no uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no slave, there's no free, but we are all Christ. Christ is all and is in and so Paul here not only sent this personal letter to Philemon, he sent this letter to the entire church, and he's reminding them, hey, you're not slaves and masters. You're followers of Jesus Christ. You all serve Jesus. And there's a lot of things in our world and in our nation and in our society that divides people. But Jesus is what unites. Sin divides. We, we have these selfish tendencies to want our way and other people to agree with us. But Jesus is what unites everyone. And that's what Paul said here in this early church, which had slaves and masters, which had free people and former slaves. And it was all kinds of different, um, different economic levels. And he says, you know what? You are all in need. Of Jesus, And that's what unites all of us, that we're all in need of Jesus. From the person who stands up front and speaks to the person um, who seems to be in the darkest corner of our city, we're all in need of Jesus. And that's really the message of the gospel, that no one's better than anyone else, that we're all equally in need of the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And so as we come to the end today, and we continue this thought about forgiveness um, the question we need to ask is not only is there someone do we, we need to forgive, is there someone that we need to apologize to? 
And sometimes it's easier to forgive because we don't actually have to go and talk to anybody, right? We can just do that. We're like, oh, I need to let go of this. But when we need to apologize, sometimes we need to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. This might have not meant anything to you, but I shouldn't have said what I said. It's very humbling, and it usually builds respect for someone when we come and apologize. And the quicker we are to apologize, the easier it will be to, to forgive when someone hurts us. And then I want us also to think like Paul. Paul was imprisoned under house arrest in a Roman centurion's home. And he encountered Onesimus, a slave who needed to hear the message of Jesus. And you might think where you are, you will never encounter anyone who needs to hear about the life-changing free gift of Jesus. But all of us encounter people every day. So think about where you're positioned and who you encounter. And I think that's strategic and by design. And finally, where can we bridge division in our culture, in our community, in our homes with Jesus? So many times I think it's easy to have division, but Jesus brings harmony and unity and peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have set us free. Over and over again in the Bible, you use the metaphor of being set free. From being freed from sin and shame and guilt and death, you rescued us and you made us free. And Lord, thank you so much for Onesimus. A man who, it seemed like his life was a mess, and he robbed his master, and he ran away. And Lord, what he found was his true purpose. And you brought him back to his master, and he made amends. And Lord, I'm thankful that you did a work in the heart of Philemon, and you did a work in the heart of Onesimus. And Lord, I'm thankful that you call us both to forgive and to apologize. And Lord, I ask that you will make us a people who are quick to admit when we've done wrong, quick to forgive when we've been hurt, and Lord, that you will make us faithful to build bridges instead of creating divides. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.